0: All right, welcome back everybody to episode two of the gone bridge podcast. My name is Andrew Gardner here with Steve Brady and Alex Clausen. how are we doing today, guys?
1: Doing great. How are you guys? Living the dream, baby. Good, good, good. good so to be back
0: here. Big Red Sox news. We got a, we got a new manager, actually second term. Alex Corr is back with the team. Right where he belongs. It's exactly where he belongs. I'm very excited about this. Um, Honestly, I don't really have much to say. I just think it was the right move. Like, it made sense. And um, I'm happy that Haim also thought it was a good idea because uh, I I don't think there are any other candidates who made more
2: sense than him. Sometimes the pieces just fit together perfectly. And this is one of those times.
1: Yeah, they really, I don't know if you guys saw the press conference yesterday, but they were all kind of like hyping up Alex Cole, even Haim Bloom, too. It was kind of the worry that he was going to go his own direction and take, like, Sam Fold or somebody else. And then from the press conference yesterday, it sounded like once he met with Cora, he was just all on board. You know, they had a really good um, relationship right when they started and then right when it kind of, like, right after the World Series, when his suspension was up, it seemed like it just kind of fell right back together. So um, I was happy to hear that from from everybody on that press conference. And, you know, I'm ready to go, and I think Alex Cora is going to make a huge difference going forward.
2: Yeah. It feels like a,
1: a big free agent,
2: like, signing. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Like, it's going to be that kind of impact to this team.
0: Yeah, I feel like there hasn't been in the last two years since when we won the World Series in 2018, there hasn't been this much excitement over one, like, single move um, since we won that World Series because obviously they didn't sign anybody after 2018 and then 2020 was just an absolute disaster. But, um, yeah, I know in the press conference – Cora was saying that all he wanted was a chance to like prove to Haim that he was, he was the guy. And he was like, even if I didn't get the job, I just wanted a chance to speak with him. And he said, I, um, that, that first like round of interviews was like super brutal and they talked about everything. So I think that by bringing Cora back, like Haim is obviously very confident. And I know Haim said, he was like, For Alex to be hired, I needed him to, like, answer all the questions that I had. So, I know it's, like, it's not really a bad look, but I think a lot of people might question the move. But, I mean, from a Red Sox point of view, if Haim feels comfortable, like, I feel comfortable. I know he's the right guy for the job.
2: Absolutely. I mean, like, I don't know about you guys, but it seemed like this was the plan all along, you know, for ever since the uh, suspension – was given out to Cora. It just felt like this
1: was what was going to happen. Yeah. I was going to say, I wonder how much of that, like really tough questioning was kind of just fluff that he had to say. Cause like, you can't just like welcome back, like open arms, Alex Cora and be like, all right, like just come on back. But when you look at the rest of the candidates and maybe it was just the, the pool of um, managers that was out there, but it didn't really seem like Alex Cora had much competition Um, from his track record between Houston and 2018 with the Red Sox. Um, none of those other guys really had managing experience or really had like a significant pedigree, um, anywhere close to Alex Cora. So I think they kind of had to go through the process. Um, cause I think there would have been like more backlash if they just like brought him back. Um, but they definitely made the right decision in the end.
0: Yeah, definitely. I know. Um, yeah, last, last episode when we were talking about those five candidates, um, that included Cora, um. I think we said the only name that really stuck out was sam fold who ended up being the the number two option for the job but yeah three of those names i had never heard of and um yeah again fold i don't i don't know what experience he has i don't think he's like a bench coach anywhere so cora obviously was the best man for the job um and yeah i think this is going to bring a lot of excitement back to the team this year um i know later in the show we're going to talk a little bit about. some free agent signings, like MLB wide, but also with the Red Sox, um, and that excitement is going to be needed because you know the fans are going to be ready to come back to Fenway. Core is going to be back. Um, we just got to sign a few players because we're we're not there yet, but we're getting there. Uh, we're making progress. So um, I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts on the core situation overall. I think I think it's what we were expecting. Um, I don't really get the people who are like really mad about it um, because I know there's a big crowd out there who aren't happy with this move, but he's the Red Sox manager. And I, I think we got to accept that and be ready to go.
2: Yeah. I think uh, baseball in general is a sport that culture matters the most um, in terms of team success. And if you look back in the past, 2018, Cora brought um, the culture back to the Red Sox and we won the world series 2013. Uh, that team had great culture uh, with the, like the beard saying like that was insane. Even 2007, they all had like every single team that has been successful with the Red Sox has had like a great culture and everybody has been um like has everybody else's back. And I have that feeling again a little bit, not quite at the same level, but I feel like we're getting there.
1: Yeah, I almost feel like the kind of building off that, like the core signing just gets that like juice back in the arm because um, like the team is really talented. You look at the offense, it was – one of the better offenses in the league, the pitching is kind of a disaster, which we all know, but like, there's just kind of that, like, especially when fans come back, like that juice of just like having Alex core back, knowing he's going to make the right choices, knowing that like the culture is going to be right in the right spot. Um, I don't know how much Renneke was a part of the culture last year. I think it was kind of driven by the players in the clubhouse, which is fine. Um, but I think having Cor there there is like a mentor. Um, clearly all the players look up to him and really respect him and trust him. Um, So I think that they're going to play that much harder. And I think core is going to kind of give it back to the fans. And, you know, he knows what it's like to play in Boston. He knows what it's like to manage in Boston. Um, So I think that he's really going to, he's going to get back to expectations. And I think he's going to bring this team to a couple more wins, at least next year. And then, you know, beyond, I think they're going to be in contention for a long time with him. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. It's a very team friendly deal. It was uh, a two-year contract with a two-year club option. So, You know, they've got some flexibility. Essentially, uh, you know, Cora wouldn't – I don't think the Red Sox would really allow Cora to sign a deal that would be more in his favor because I feel like they're doing him a a good gesture by bringing him back. But um, looking back to, like, 2020, honestly, I I think Reneke – I don't know if when they fired Cora they were like, we're going to bring him back. But Reneke, I feel bad for him in a way because he kind of got thrown into a a shit show of – you know, bad pitching and just players coming out of nowhere who I'd never heard of. Um, and you know, no one could have been successful in
2: that situation.
0: No, no, not at all. And it was just, it was just a throwaway year. Um, and he was just a stopgap for one year. So, um, yeah, I'm thankful that he gave us the year, but also if we had hired someone full time after, um, Cora was suspended, I don't think he'd be coming back. He'd probably be somewhere else. So, um, very very happy about that too but yeah I think I think the team will be ready to go next year. Um, yeah, that's about it. I don't know if you guys have any other closing thoughts on this.
2: Well, just great signing.
0: I'm happy. I'm ready to go. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so hopefully next year um, right now the big news in the MLB is the award winners. I know last episode we talked about our predictions for that. Um, no Red Sox were nominated for any awards this year. However, hopefully that will be different next year. Um, so uh, two nights ago we had the Rookie of the Year announced, which was uh, Devin Williams in the National League and uh, Kyle Lewis in the American League. And then in the um, the last night we had the Manager of the Year awards. Kevin Cash um, won the American League award, and Don Mattingly, deservingly, won the National League award. Um, I think our predictions were pretty spot on here. At least one of us predicted um, each of those guys to win the award. Um, no surprises, but um, yeah, I don't know if, if, you guys have any thoughts on, on the voting and what's to come tonight uh, with the side.
2: I mean, uh, to start off, I guess, with the uh, national league rookie of the year, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Devin Williams was unanimous and. I uh, did not really see that coming at all, but uh, I when I look at the stats and I mean I look at how he performed, I'm not uh, really that surprised. But any award being unanimous, I think, is pretty uh, insane.
1: Yeah, I also want to look at the AL MVP because that one was unanimous too. Kyle Lewis walked away with it, 31st place votes, um, and I was really shocked that neither Robert or Javier walked away with at least one. Um, I would think that they would get at least some respect with first place votes. Um, but I wouldn't have said that Kyle Lewis was far and ahead, um, the rookie of the year. Um, but yeah, I mean, Robert walked away with second place. He had 27 second place votes and Javier, you know, dominated third place, third place votes. But, um, you know, I guess I was expecting a little more of a spread out of the three of them. Um, I didn't think Javier had much of a chance, but, you know, I didn't know if because he was such a, a big player on the Astros, um, with their pitching rotation. I didn't know if he'd get at least a vote or at least a couple of second place votes. Um, so other than that, um, you know, most of the other races made sense to me. Um, but yeah, both the AL and NL rookie of the year is going unanimous. Definitely took me by surprise.
0: So the the NL rookie of the year, uh, Devin Williams was not unanimous. He had 14 first place votes. And then um, there were actually five guys who totaled, uh, or uh, sorry, I'm sorry, four guys who got first place votes in the NL, uh, Devin Williams, Alec Baum, Jay Cronenworth, and then Tony Gonzalez, who finished fourth. Um, so that race was a little bit closer, but um, Devin Williams still ran away with it. Uh, I think I picked him to win. I really liked him this season. He was insane. But um, I was honestly surprised that Kyle Lewis won it unanimously. Um, you know, Robert had a really good year up until the end. He kind of fell off, and I think that's what killed him. Um, but really no surprises there and no surprises with the, um, managers of the year either. Thankfully for Kevin Cash, it's a regular season award. Um, because after game six of the world series, uh, I don't think he would win that award with that, uh, with that performance. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. what do you guys think about Mattingly winning it over uh, Tingler?
2: Uh, I think I had Mattingly, um, as my pick for the manager of the year. Um, I think we talked about it a little bit in the last pod, but what they did with what they had on the roster and in terms of how they all got COVID within like the first month of the season. Um, I think that it was just like, you couldn't really have asked Mattingly to do much more than what he did. And I think he really deserved the award.
1: Yeah. I mean, same thing as you, Steve, I don't know how you can take that team, um, give them the situation they had with COVID and then bring them to the playoffs. Um it just kind of seems unlikely, especially because they were one of the worst teams in the league last year. Um, And then with the Padres, like, obviously they made a huge step. Um, I thought they were like good contenders with the Dodgers in that first series. But um, when you look at that roster, like Machado and, and Tatis um, and Hosmer too at first base, like their lineup is pretty loaded. Their pitching rotation is pretty good. Um, So obviously they made huge strides which you know, definitely got him some votes, but, at the same time i don't think you can discount what mattingly did for the for the marlins
0: yeah i actually um i have two interesting things here with the voting um there are actually two voters who did not even put mattingly inside of their top three which is uh puzzling
2: ridiculous yeah ridiculous. Same thing with
0: kevin cash there are also two voters who did not put him inside of their top three which i do not understand um However, the one guy I wanted to talk about until we uh, or before we move on here um, is the whole White Sox situation. Rick Renteria, he finished second place. He got um, five first place votes in the AL. Um, obviously, he got fired, and then yesterday it comes out that his replacement, Tony Larusa, um, was charged with a DUI the day before he was hired, and the team knew about it. Um, Obviously a really tough look for the White Sox, even after they've already faced some backlash for the hire. Um, do we think anything's going to come with this or is it just kind of go under the table?
2: I think this is one of those things that the White Sox are going to try as hard as possible to sweep this under the rug. And I think that the MLB in general doesn't really do a great job of like, um, like advertising like even positive things. So I'm sure that this is going to just be pretty much ignored by
1: everybody for better or for worse. Uh, I really didn't like the La signing to begin with. I mean, he's an old guy. He's like 80 something, very like classic baseball. Um, He was one of those guys who came out with like, he hates bat flips. He hates all this like emotion in baseball and that's where baseball is going and that's where it needs to go. Um, So with such a young team, like the White Sox, he seems like such a terrible fit for their culture. And I don't know if you guys saw like more details about the DUI arrest, but when he got pulled over, he was talking to the cop and he was like, you know who I am. He's like holding up his ring. He's like, I'm a world series champion. Like you can't do anything. Like he just seems like a total mess. Um, I wouldn't have hired him for the white socks to begin with. Um, I think his culture is just kind of too far gone for baseball right now. It's not where it needs to be, but I, I agree say- with Steve. I don't think Rob Manfred's going to be uh, going to be too harsh on him, especially oh. with what he's done in the past. Yeah. Manfred's yeah. He's, uh, he's not going to do anything there.
0: Um, I actually have a funny Larusa story. I was at Fenway the last game of the 2019 season, and I was walking out, and um, I turn around, and Tony's, like, walking down the stairs, like, in the middle of Fenway, and I was like, holy crap, like, it's Tony La Russa. So I go up, and I ask him for a picture, and he could, like, barely walk. Like, he was, like, stumbling around, and he was, like – he was so, like uh, – he, like, just didn't want to do it, whatever. So I, we were like, oh, thank you. We walk away and he was like, yo kid, like come back. We got to do this the right way. And I turn around and he takes off his world series ring and lets me try it on and take a picture with it. And I was like, I was not expecting that. Um, But I still don't think he's a good fit for the job. I mean, like just looking at him, he just like blended in as a guy who'd be going to Fenway for the last like 50 years, like not managing the, the up and coming exciting Chicago White Sox team. So I would be shocked if he lasted more than one to two seasons with the team. Um, it's just, yeah. even if they're good, I don't really think he fits.
2: Like Lawson was talking about with the culture, like uh, he hates bad flips. And Tim Anderson was one of the guys that was the biggest, um, like he spearheaded that entire thing um, a year or two ago, where uh, he was like one of the most emotional players in baseball. So uh, like long story short, you guys already said it, the culture just didn't match.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's going to be interesting. Um, some other interesting things coming up. We got free agency. Um, so I know the three of us uh, looked over some uh, different things, teams, uh, specific players. So uh, I know we each have a few bold predictions. So I don't know if you want to start, Steve, kind of run down a few yeah. takes, whether it be Red Sox or just a general MLB talk here.
2: So for a bold prediction for one of the top free agents, I can totally see uh, JT Real Muto um, going to the Astros. Uh, um, Michael Brantley is currently on the Astros and he's becoming a free agent. George Springer is a free agent. So they have, um, they're getting rid of a little bit of cap space and I can just see that as a decent fit there. Um, as far as the team goes, uh, unfortunately, as bad as it sounds, I can see the Red Sox doing next to nothing. I can see us signing like a no-name pitcher for some reason and uh, just doing nothing. Or I can see us making too big of a splash, going after George Springer and just signing him for way too much money. Or even um, though I like uh, Marcello Zuna, and I think that he would be worth it on a decent contract, I can also see us just throwing way too, money, too much money at him. But hopefully I'm wrong on that one.
1: Anyway. Uh, what do you guys think yeah Steve the Red sox have way too big of a track record of doing that that's not a bold prediction anymore five years ago that would have been <laughs> a bold prediction but at this point <laughs> they're just throwing money around um, to those big free agent guys that aren't going to pan out um, real muchocho to the Astros i hadn't even thought about though because they are losing some power in the in the lineup with springer and then Brantley's going and you know catcher kind of goes under the radar for a lot of teams with you know they kind of just find a guy that's all right you know hits 240 and you know, doesn't let many balls go by him. Um, So to have Rio Muto in that lineup would really kind of get them back to having a solid piece in their lineup. And I think it would give them a good advantage against a couple other teams.
0: Yeah, I agree. I didn't really think of that either. Um, I know there's been some rumors about him going to the Dodgers, maybe. Um, Again, that would just be unfair for the rest of the league. Um, My biggest bold prediction is Trevor Bauer to the Mets. Obviously Steve Cohen, new owner, um, he's going to try and do everything he can to show these fans that um, the Mets are not the number two team in New York anymore. Um, so I think Trevor Bauer to the Mets would be um, kind. Of, I think I think it could happen. It's it's bold, but I think it could happen. Um, one of my other big predictions, Red Sox wise, I think that DJ LeMahieu might be um, a guy that they try and go after at second base. Uh, I don't believe the Yankees will be able to keep him. I know that um, Brian Cashman said that he wants to cut some salary, and LeMay, who's a free agent, he just declined his option yesterday. Uh, so I could, I could see it maybe happening. Another guy I think the Red Sox might go after is uh, Jaco DeRizzi. He's got some old, old uh, Tampa Bay ties with Bloom. Um, so not like too bold there, but those are two guys I think the Red Sox might go after.
2: Yeah, I definitely like the uh, Trevor Bauer to the Mets uh, idea. I think that they would have um, a pretty decent rotation going with uh, DeGrom himself and uh, Steven Matz, I think, has been pretty decent. Um, as far as the Red Sox uh, prediction, um, DJ LeMahieu, I can see that happening. Uh, I don't think second base is really too high up on our priority list right now. I think we're comfortable with who we have in terms of um, – like yeah like who we have uh and i don't really think that would be the best uh use of like our cap space especially when our bullpen and our starting rotation looks the way it does but i can still see it as a possibility especially because the red Sox are so well known for just throwing money at the top free agents
1: i mean lemay would be a great piece he's pretty flexible too he moves around you know second base kind of his position but when he was with the rockies he moved all the way around um but i agree i think they're gonna have to prioritize pitching and um, you know, trying to trying to keep the, the pace with the, you know, next five years because trying will make you now, would kind of be like a win now move. Um, but I could definitely see him moving away from the Yankees. I think it'd be a huge loss for the Yankees. Um, I think it definitely knocks him down a couple wins. You know, his OPS was through the roof. He was a huge piece of that offense. Um, best player. He, was really, he was really kind of the most reliable one, with Judge and Stanton and, you know, the rest of their power guys, um, you know, that were out. And then Sanchez really hasn't shown up um, in the last little while. So I think it will be a huge blow for the Yankees, but, um, I could see real move moving on for sure. Definitely. Um,
0: one guy that I also know the Red Sox who've, uh, they've been tied to is Matt Shoemaker on the blue Jays. Um, I know he's a little bit injury prone, but honestly, that is like a guy who I think would fit with the Red Sox and just, um, a guy like that, um, is the type of, pitcher but I think the Red Sox are going to go after this offseason like no one huge no one who you're going to be like oh I got to go to Fenway every fifth day to see this guy pitch but someone who is at least better than like Mike Kickham and Matt Hall pitching because those guys stink um my other bold prediction uh Marcus Stroman to the Braves uh I think the Braves need like one more arm they're almost there they have a really good team um But yeah, the Braves, the Braves are going to be interesting because Ozuna and uh, I think Josh Donaldson uh, is also, so they're going to be looking to reload a little bit. They might look on that pitching front, but yeah, the Braves are stacked.
1: Yeah. Moving on to the Braves. I kind of want to talk about one of my predictions. So I have two. Um, So one of them is Red Sox related. I think they're going to find a way to bring Jackie Bradley Jr. back. Um, I don't think the bridge is totally gone. um, And I think he would be. I think it's probably right for him to move on and go to some contender um, where they need that defense in center field and, you know, kind of need his, you know, sometimes fire bat in the lineup. Um, But I also think that the Red Sox really need him. And he seems to have a really good connection with the Red Sox. The fans really like him. Um, So I think that they're going to try and bring him back for maybe a short deal, like two, three years, just try and bridge the gap and try and get somebody else in there in the next few years. Uh, And then my other one is kind of a team. So I think we're going to see a lot of teams starting to blow it up this year. Um, The Cubs is one of them that comes to mind for me. Um, And I think Chris Bryant is probably going to get traded. I think he could go to the Braves. Um, They obviously have a hole now at third base with Donaldson gone. Um, And I think if they lose Ozuna too, they're going to be missing some good bats in the lineup. Um, So I think, you know, especially with Chris Bryant's production going down a little bit, he's been injured sometimes. Um, And now the Cubs are kind of at a crossroads with, signing him for a huge contract and hoping that he returns to what he was in like 2015, 2016, Um, or, you know, just kind of moving on and, you know, hoping that he doesn't start to turn back into that again. Um, You know, Rizzo's getting a little older. Um, Obviously they're losing some pitching with John Lester's going Um, Darvish is getting a little older. Um, I've heard Theo Epstein's kind of, you know, done his thing in Chicago. He's going to look to move on soon. Um, So I think the Cubs are kind of in that weird, vortex of baseball where they're good enough to make the playoffs but not good enough to really compete Um, and it seems like their window was kind of 2016 and and now it's starting to close a little bit so I think the Cubs are going to look to move on and then the Indians too with Francisco Lindor um, I think they could look to trade him and then once Lindor's gone you know they already got rid of Clevenger and they were kind of shipping off their pitching rotation last year so I think the Indians could be another team that that kind of starts to move on from what they had in 2016 and and just look to get some younger stars and build for the next five years.
0: Yeah, the Indians are one team that I cannot for the life of me understand. Um, I know they were trying to trade Francisco Lindor, who is easily a top three shortstop in the game. Uh, I know many people would say he's the best. And then, um, you know, they go out, last trade deadline, trade Trevor Bauer. So they got a decent return. Fran Muel Reyes was pretty good for them. Um, and then, obviously, this trade deadline, they go out and trade Clevenger, um, which honestly worked out for them because he was hurt for most of the remainder of the season. But I just, I can't understand. They're always so close. They're always, I mean, they are the model organization in the MLB for developing pitchers. Every single time you like turn around when there's a new guy on the mound, he's like filthy. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah, they, they play like four years with the team and then they're like, all right, time to move on. I mean, I, I don't, I don't get it. They're like one to two, bats away from being a really good team Uh, and I've heard that they're not going to start the season with uh, Francisco Lindor on the roster I don't know where he might go but uh, Cleveland just I know their owners really cheap but when when you've got this window and you've been good for the last like four to five years just like just sign another guy you're so close you were a game away from winning the World Series so yeah I I agree I can definitely see Cleveland doing that because That fits what they do, but I I do not understand it.
2: Uh, To go back to um, Lawson's uh, Jackie Bradley prediction, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to his social media or anything, or especially um, how he was acting towards the end of the season, but to me, it looks like there's – no shot he resigns with the Red Sox I don't think he wants to resign with the Red Sox I think the way that he's been handling it he's been like see you guys later like thanks for the two rings and like all the all these years I appreciate it but like it's time for me to go like I think the last game of the year he had um the Red Sox photographer do a couple like a photo little photo shoot in center field for him his wife's posting on Instagram saying thanks to Boston so I really just think he's out of here you know I just don't think there's a chance he's coming back
0: yeah, I agree. Uh, I've never been the biggest JBJ guy. I know a lot of people are. I think he's a great guy, but um, he's just he's found a way to stick, stick in Boston, partly because he's been such an unbelievable defender. Um, yeah. I know he's been tied with the Astros, which honestly would make sense filling in for probably Brantley. Um, <coughs> excuse me. But yeah, I don't I don't think he's going to come back. I know there were rumors the Red Sox had um like talked with him again, but. I, I just can't see it. Um, I think the rest yeah. is
1: gone. See, that's why it's a bold then, prediction.
0: <laughs> very bold. Oh yeah, very bold. It's definitely bold. All right. Um, I think we're gonna move into the last segment here. Um, we wanted to run down some of our favorite Red Sox memories. Um, they could be. I'm sure we're all gonna gonna share some of them, but also um, maybe some like some more personal memories, um, some personal stories. So. Um yeah, Clausen. if you want to start. Um go
1: right ahead. Sure. So, I kind of broke it down to three and I was trying to do ones that like I saw like witnessed like on TV at Fenway and I could only get two of them. So, one of them this is probably not inside anybody's top 50, um but in 2016 or 2018 um during the World Series that last game, um Joe Kelly came in in the 8th inning and like at that point like Price had just come out like they had a lead, but it wasn't like sure that they were going to win. And then Joe Kelly came out and he had been shoving all series, like all playoffs. And he came out and he was painting corners, like struck like three guys out in a row, like one Oh two inside corner, no chance, anybody on the planet hitting it. And then he's walking off the mat. He's like screaming. He's like swearing, like hyping everybody up. And I was like, all right, you know, what? Red Sox are winning this world series. Like it's over. Um, so that's my number three. Cause I was just so fired up after that. Like, I remember, I think I was watching it with my friends. I was just like shoving kids around, like, let's go. Like, this is it. Um, And then my second one um, was 2013, game two of the ALCS, David Ortiz Grand Slam. Um, Obviously, like, I freaked out during that um, because that was like a huge moment. Um, So I love that one, like huge David Ortiz moment for me. And then number one, I was like, that was going to be my number one. Um, but I couldn't find another one. So my number one has to be when 2004, they came back from 3-0 against the Yankees, that whole series, like they were just so locked in, like Yankees blew it. Um, and I remember seeing like documentaries and like TV series about it. And like in game seven, like they're all loose. And like the Yankees were like so scared they were going to lose. And the Red Sox are like dancing around in the outfield. Like, you know, if any idiots are going to win, it's going to be us. Like it was just such a like perfect Red Sox moment. Um, So I'd say those are my probably favorite three moments. Um, And then like my personal moment has to be like the first time I went to Fenway. So I was really young. Um, I went with my family and like it was this huge deal. Like I was a huge Red Sox fan as a kid. And you know, when you walk through the Concords, like it's really dark in there. Um, There's kind of no lights. And then when you walk up like through the tunnels, like it was like the perfect day for baseball, like super sunny. And like I remember walking up and it was like the like gates of heaven had opened and it was like the shining lights. Like it was like, I, my eyes were like bowling balls. Like it was nuts. So that's probably my favorite, like personal Red Sox moment. Um, and then those three are probably my favorite Red Sox moments that I've seen, or I guess been a a Y for. Yeah. All good picks. <clears throat> oh yeah. Steve, you want um, to- do you want to go next Gardner?
2: Yeah. Or- yeah. No, I can go. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, um definitely right, you gonna go or am I gonna go? I can't hear you, sorry. Oh sorry. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. Okay. Um so for I'll start with my favorite, uh one that I saw live on T V. It absolutely has to be the twenty eighteen final uh, final at bat of this, of the season per sale against Manny Machado and Manny Machado just gets dominated for the entire at bat and he sits him down on probably one of the nastiest sliders I've ever seen Manny Machado goes on one knee Christian Vasquez runs out to the mound and this is my favorite part by far the fact that Christian Vasquez jumped into Chris Sale's arms and like wrapped his arms and legs around him and it's like dude that's Chris Sale dude like this guy's a psychopath I don't know if I would be jumping on him like that but that's definitely my number one favorite memory and then My number two is probably, um, I think, yeah, 2013, uh, it was the ALCS. I want to say it was game six. Uh, Shane Victorino hit a grand slam. Red Sox take the lead. Uh, That was just, like, obviously one of the most electric things that, like, I've ever witnessed again uh, on, like, probably one of the best seasons of just, like, pure entertainment for baseball. And then my final uh Red Sox memory is just David Ortiz's last season in general. Uh the guy had probably the best season or like retirement season of a hitter of all time. He like won the Hank Aaron Award, like he was forty something years old, but he didn't look a day over like his prime years. So those are probably my three favorite memories from the Red Sox, but a personal memory of mine. Um we can go I'll go a little bit more recently. Uh, I just happened to have had tickets for of all these first start as a Red Sox, and he dominated that game. I think he went a uh, full complete game, and there was one specific part of that game where JBJ made an unreal catch going towards the Green Monster into the uh uh onto the warning track, and he caught it and did like a little flip onto like uh like onto his butt and then hit the uh the Green Monster like work it hard. It was probably one of the best catches I've ever seen live. So that probably rounds it out.
1: Um uh, love to hear what you think, though, Gardner. So, Gardner, can I say one more thing? So yeah, go right ahead. Steve, 2018, yeah. right when um, Vasquez jumps into sales arms, I think you're forgetting that David Price set the world record for the sprint from the oh, dugout yeah. to the pitcher's mound, he was, he was there. Like he was almost, he almost beat Vasquez.
2: The ball was halfway to home plate, and Chris or uh, David Price was already at the first baseline. Like he was Vasquez like this goes.
1: close to beating Vasquez. Yeah, <laughs> that was nuts. Like I remember seeing it, and be like, where did David Price come from? He was like waiting on the third baseline. He was just like, there was, I'm there was, sure. there was a like, solid like two second wait between where anybody else hit the like hit the mound, and it was just David Price, nobody else. Yeah, I still think David Price
2: should have won the uh, World Series MVP that year, but I think Steve Pierce was a good pick for it too.
0: Definitely, I I think it could have gone either way. It was super close. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. For me,
0: you guys, you guys like already said two of my biggest ones, um, especially you, Steve. Um, one moment that like I remember just like freaking out over was the Victorino Grand Slam. Watching that, just being like, I think Scherzer was pitching Game Seven. I don't know who the Red Sox would have had uh, pitch, but. Like, every inning in that game, I think they were down 2-1 at that point. Every inning, they would get, like, a man on second, like, one out, and they could not score at all. And it was so, def- like, so deflating because you'd get so excited. You're like, oh, they're going to do it. And then they didn't. And then Victorino, yeah, steps up, hits that grand slam. And it was just like, all right, we got this. Um, you know, someone – I don't I don't even remember who the Red Sox setup guy was, but then you had Koji coming in. It was like, all right, everything's going to be okay. Um, but one other uh, – piece that sticks out to me as a great memory from that 2013 team was um David Ross in game five um I think it was one one at the time and he hit a double to score two in St. Louis to which eventually put them up um three two on St. Louis and that was one point two they were coming back to Fenway after and I was just like all right like they got this they, they can do this um so that was awesome and then The other game watching on TV that, like, I always will remember was um, – although the Red Sox lost, it was game three of the World Series uh, in 2018 where I I stayed up to like, almost 4 a.m. watching that game. And Evaldi just coming out every inning, I was like – he felt so confident. He would come out and just be like, oh, the Red Sox have to push one across eventually. And at that point, the lineup was just, like, so depleted. It was, like, Nunez, Kinsler, and, like – JBJ and all these like, like
2: and was hurt too.
0: Yeah, for some reason they're like they had pinch hit. Like there were a bunch of good guys out of the game already, and uh, I know they lost, but I, I felt I I still felt great after that. Um, that that was just electric. And then um, two quick like personal memories. Um, one game in 2012 I went to. It was David Price in a Cy Young winning season versus Josh Beckett. And uh, Price was absolutely nasty. And then uh, bottom of the ninth, Jared Saltamacchia pinch hits with a runner on first and smacks a walk-off home run. Even though the Red Sox were ass that year, that was, that was pretty awesome. And then um, one thing for me was that I was also, I don't go to a lot of Red Sox game, maybe like one to two a year, but I was able to see Mookie's first and last game with the Red Sox in person. Um, so that was really cool seeing his MLB debut at Yankee Stadium in 2014. Being like, hey, this kid looks pretty good. And then him turning into like an absolute stud. And then last year in 2019, the last game, like seeing him score that final run. And I just like, when that happened, I was like, that's it. I knew they were going to trade him. And it like, it pained me that whole day. It was just like, it felt like Mookie's send off. And I was like, this is not how it should be. Like, just pay him, please. But, um, yeah, those are definitely the the things that stick out to me um, from being a Red Sox fan.
2: If I could add uh, just one more quick funny memory I have is uh, Clay Buckle's last season on the Red Sox. I think it was in 2017, but it definitely could have been 2016. Um, we we're in the playoffs against the Astros. Uh, Astros were up. Uh, they need one more win to advance. And our starting rotation, I think, was just so depleted that our entire season was riding on Clay Buckle. Uh, and I think that was just like a great microcosm for Clay Buckle's entire career, where he has this great potential to save our season, great potential as a pitcher, but he just lets us, he just let us down. He just let us down a little bit. And I, I love Clay Buckles. I look back on him fondly as a member of the Red Sox. And that's just a funny memory that I have. I don't think I'll ever forget. I
0: love I love Buckles personally. In fact, I was supposed to go to a game in 2013. It was like mid-season, and I don't know if you remember his beginning of 2013. He was like, he was like gonna start the All-Star game. He was like eight and zero, had like a sub one ERA. I was going to the game, and Buckles was supposed to start. And we get into Boston, and we're like listening to the radio, and they're like, "Oh, Clay Buckles been scratched with like arm tightness," and like I think it was Alfredo Aceves ends up starting the game. I was like. That's just classic
1: Buckholtz, like classic. Yeah, apparently we all have classic Buckholtz stories because I remember I went to a game like a long time ago, and I was like so excited, like loved Clay Buckholtz. Like I think I, made, I took so much time. I made like a poster, like a sign or whatever. I brought it to the game. Like I was all excited, and I guarantee I'm like almost positive. He got rocked and pulled in like the fourth inning or something. Yeah. I was like classic, like looking back, that's just classic Clay Buckholtz. Like so excited to go see him, and then he gets hammered by the opposing team. Uh,
0: Yeah, he was either, like, a complete game shutout or, like, he would get absolutely rocked.
1: There was no one between. Um,
0: I have one other quick thing. In 2012, I went to um, a game. It was, like, I think it was, like, uh, it was right before the trade deadline, and Josh Beckett ended up starting, and they were playing the Blue Jays. And I just remember, um, you know, they had, like, Carl Crawford and Gonzo on the team, and they looked so defeated. And Beckett gets out there. He gets shelled in the first inning. He pitches, like, not even five. Gets booed off the mound. Um, and I just remember being like, this sucks. Like, and it was tough seeing Beckett. Like, that happened to him because when I grew up, it was like, oh, Beckett's, like, the best pitcher besides Lester. And saw that happen. Then he got traded, like, a week or two later with all those guys. And somehow they won the World Series the next year. But
1: – yeah. So, I was actually at that game when they got traded. No. Um, like I, w- I remember I was with my cousins or something and we were all going to the game and we were sitting in, like a restaurant, like eating something. Um, and I remember seeing on the TV, like Adrian Gonzalez, Carl Crawford, like Josh Beckett, like all traded. And I'm like, what? Like I went to go see those guys and now they're gone. Um, and I just remember like walking to the stadium and everybody's like, yeah, they just got traded. Like what's going to happen? I'm pretty sure they got rocked that game. Um, they were terrible that year anyways. And then take those three out. Yeah. I mean, 2012, they were like bad, but, I think they lost like twelve out of like fourteen to
0: end the year. Like they just, once that happened, they're like, all right, we're just gonna tank.
1: They just stunk. So I so I actually have one more funny story. Well, not like funny story, but um, so in twenty eighteen, um, the in the World Series when Erod pitched, and he went up that home run to Puig, and he takes his glove off and slams it on uh, the yeah. ground. I laughed so hard. He looked like some seven year old kid who just got taken yard, and he was like throwing his glove on the little league field, like. It was just the funniest thing to see, like this grown man is throwing his glove during the World Series. Like, what are you doing? It was was awesome too.
0: It was awesome too, because like he didn't even look at the ball. He like threw it, (laughs) and when when he released it, his glove was already like.
1: I don't think it had left the infield (laughs) at that point. Yeah, he knew. Yeah, they
0: just crushed it, Um, which is awesome. Like his hands were up, and there's like a picture of Puig's like this, and like Erod's like down at the ground, like too funny i don't know how the Red sox came back and won that one either like 2018 was just a team of destiny
2: we were just a wagon
0: absolute wagon absolute wagon hopefully um we can return to that form this next year um so yeah we're gonna wrap up the episode here i don't know if you guys have any closing thoughts um core is back got some free agent uh free agency that's gonna ramp up soon and uh yeah we'll be back with ne- another episode next week um with hopefully some more Red sox news Word. All right. Thanks, everybody. Yeah.